Welcome to this episode of TBR, a series of the EVPL Footnotes podcast. For those who aren't aware, TBR stands for To Be Read, that pile of books sitting on your nightstand, your bookshelf, your dining room table. We'll be highlighting a few books, movies, library of things, items, and other materials coming to the library each month. Uh, Today I'm here with Audra, who is the teen librarian at McCullough. Welcome, Audra. Hello. Thank you, Jamie. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you do at McCullough. Well, I'm the newest teen adult librarian, and I'm coming from about four years in children's services. So it's a big change. Um, There are a lot of things that are different and just a few that aren't. So at McCullough, I am trying to establish some standard teen programming so that we'll have something on a regular basis. Right now, I'm doing some one-off things for adults and teens, just kind of getting my feet wet. And I also still do a little bit of kids stuff, and I will be doing that especially in the summer. I'll be covering robotics for Ooh, ages, yes, um, for ages K all the way up to I believe eighth or ninth with our Mindstorm robots. Wonderful! That sounds exciting. Yeah, we've actually got some pretty exciting middle grade programming system-wide this summer, which is a group that often kind of gets overlooked because it's just those few short years. Sure, sure. But crucial years. Yes. All right. So as per normal, we are going to do our back and forth. We're picking from the list of items that are being introduced into our collection. And Mm -hmm. so we're each going to just highlight things that really stood out to us as something be interesting to highlight or read it for ourselves or talk about. So I'm going to let you go first. Well, I was excited to do this because I don't often look through what we've ordered. I help process the new books. Mm -hmm. Um, You see them come in and the the shiny covers and brand new boxes, which is always exciting. But it was also a little bit overwhelming because in preparation for this podcast, I was sent a list of over 330 titles. Wow. I had no idea that we order so many things. So many every every month. month. Yes. (laughs) So there's definitely something in there for everyone, and there was something in there for me. One of the ones that I'm most excited about, it's called Atomic Anna by Rachel Berenbaum, and she had done a historical sci-fi in 2019 called A Bend in the Stars. This one is sci-fi as well, but it has time travel. Ooh, I know that's a favorite theme of yours. Yes, it is probably one of my favorite things to read. I just love the mechanics and how it all works differently and how authors explain it and build that kind of scientific basis for it. So this one, the tagline is an epic adventure as three generations of women work together and travel through time to prevent the Chernobyl disaster. Ooh, that would be a nice thing to avoid. Yeah. Yes. And after watching the Chernobyl miniseries and um, doing some supplemental research in addition to that to see, you know, what was true and what was a little bit dramatized for the program, I think that this will be really interesting and that it's all of these strong women characters. Two of them are mother and daughter, so it has kind of that family aspect to it along with another teen math prodigy that gets kind of brought in and they're all kind of jumping back and forth throughout time to deal with their own relationships and their past as well as try and prevent this for all of humanity basically. Mm, Right, right. Well, that sounds like a good one. 
So I usually start with, I kind of go through that list and I'll pick nonfiction and fiction. So the first book I chose was, it's a nonfiction, it's called The 50s, An Underground History by James R. Gaines. The 50s, the stereotypical image of that decade is white bread land. It's mm-hmm. just very neat neighborhoods and just everybody kind of almost like this cookie cutter society. Yeah. That's the middle image. Picket fences. Exactly. The cleavers. Yeah. <laughs> but this is, as it says, the subtitle and underground history. And it's like, you know, there was more to the 50s than that image that's presented. And here are just some key figures that were coming up into play and already beginning to affect changes in society Mm -hmm. at that time. There was Polly Murray. He was a mixed race LGBTQ activist back in the 50s. Of course, the notorious RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, had begun at that time her fight against sexual discrimination Mm -hmm. for women and gender. Harry Hay was a key force in starting a national gay rights movement. This was even before Stonewall. So back in these, this early time, there were things turning in, which really, if you think about it, doesn't surprise because the sixties immediately following the fifties was such a time of massive change. Mm -hmm. And you don't have that overnight, even if it was below the surface for years Mm -hmm. when that breaks through. It has been building for quite some time. Yeah, studying history definitely shows you the ripple effect. Yes, yes. And yeah, seeing those people's important work more towards the beginning than just their milestone accomplishments. Exactly, exactly. There was an inch by inch bit of mm-hmm. their journey before there were the big breakthroughs, as you said. Two other people that were me- are going to be mentioned in this book are Rachel Carson, who wrote Silent Spring. Yes. And Norbert Weiner. And they both played in their own ways, kind of work it separately, but on the same front, they really had a big part to play in the building environmental movement and looking Mm -hmm. at how we treat the planet. Of course, with Silent Spring, Rachel Carson's focus was on, a, I think it was DDT, a really toxic pesticide that was being commonly used Mm -hmm. and was having vast and detrimental effects to the point where it's been banned for use in this country. And that was one of the things that really got people stepping back and looking at what are, what are our process and are they as, you know, just because they're convenient and effective, does that mean they're healthy in the long term? Are they sustainable? Are they good for us? These are all the kinds of things that were going on in the fifties that most people don't think of because sixties is the big change. Mm -hmm. But things were brewing in the 50s long before that happened. And even some back earlier, some, I believe it was Harry Hay, who was moving toward a gay rights movement, had actually begun some of his work in the 40s. So it was a long time coming. And so I'm really interested in seeing that side of that particular decade. Yeah, definitely. Especially if you take it in those smaller pieces like that of the just the decade. Playing off that, I actually had a nonfiction as well that fits right into that called Making History, The Storytellers Who Shape by Richard Cohen. He's written several different history books that have been well acclaimed, and he was also a Washington Post columnist for a long time. Oh, really? So this is looking at how we record our history, how we decide what's important. So Mm. playing off what you said, why did we choose the more whitewashed version is so popular. So it is 
There are many stories we can spin about previous ages, but which accounts get told and by whom? Is there even such a thing as objective history? Mm. So looking at how the historians that are recording this kind of color, what Mm -hmm. we remember, the public opinion, and how that really gets to be just as much a part of the story as the events. And this goes back, I believe, all throughout written history, as well as up to modern times. That's interesting, because every person who's reporting history, no matter how objective they strive to be, are going to make judgment calls on what's important to include and what's not. Mm Mm-hmm. And and because you literally can't include everything, you cannot, or we would just be lost in a sea of information. Unfortunately, you know, as, as a librarian, I have that <laughs> write it all down mentality. I agree with that, but because the big picture is so important, but to see how something was truly shaped, there's those key pieces, those key yes. figures, those key moments. And how do you determine? Because sometimes it is this tiny little, you remember, of course, let's go back to American Revolution. You know, mm-hmm. we hear that shot heard around the world. In a single shot on a battlefield in the middle of nowhere, America. And it's like that, those little tiny moments. What a little tiny moment in history. Yeah, stick and then get put into exactly. Hamilton Broadway exactly, plays. And exactly. we're still <laughs> celebrating this moment that may or may not have happened. Yeah, you can... And Look into the histories some, of that yourself. Some historians said, oh, that one shot, that was important to record. Where somebody else, you know, they might have chosen another focus. There's just so many small and tiny events that create a snowball effect. Yeah, and looking and, at what is still relevant as we're farther and farther removed from it. Like I said, this dates back. The blurb mentions, you know, writers of the Bible, Voltaire, things like that. So it is going all through that time and how when we get farther and farther away from those moments in history, you lose more every day True. of that record True. and of what remains important to our society. Yeah, there's those firsthand accounts where maybe it wasn't the major play, but it added texture to the story. And if that's not recorded somewhere or the last person who holds that memory passes, then it's gone. Mm-hmm. And that's a little sad. <laughs> yep. So I think it would make for a very interesting read or Agreed. listen. I normally listen to my nonfiction. Same. Same. I like reading my fiction mm-hmm. because I get just swept up in the narrative. But if I want to consume, because I, I genuinely enjoy nonfiction, but it's easier for me to focus when it's like in audiobook form. I'm much in the same way I enjoy a podcast mm-hmm. because most of the podcasts I listen to deal with fact-based stories. I, I almost sometimes wonder if podcasts have not made me into a nonfiction audiobook consumer more than I was before just because it's easier way for me to listen now yeah for me it's that with fiction I have to picture it yes so even having someone else's voice in my head can affect that yes but with nonfiction, taking in those facts that's why I do better in like lecture environments and classes mm. I like to be told the information mm-hmm. I can see that all right so in keeping with the season uh, my next pick is actually from the library of things And for those who may not have heard, we do have at EVPL a library of things where you can check out a massage gun. You can check out a white noise machine. You can check out sound canceling headphones and tools that you can do that one-off repair. Instead of having to buy a tool, you can just borrow the tool and return it. 
And so one of the newest tools coming to the collection, it's still in processing, so I'm waiting eagerly. I've literally put it on hold for myself, is a gardening fork. I'm, oh. I'm getting out and I'm starting to put my seeds in the soil. I've got some raised beds at home and I mm-hmm. began putting out some of those seeds. And every so often I think, oh, I don't have a gardening fork. I need to get one. And I always need yeah. to get one and I never remember. And so when I saw that pop up as a, a new addition to Library of Things, I'm like, put that on hold. And so I'm hoping, rain permitting that I can finish up the cleanup of my garden beds and start getting more things put out. So I'm waiting for that one to come in. Yeah, the library of things is very exciting, especially for those things that you may only need in the moment. Exactly. So it's not worth purchasing. I've been eyeballing some of those cake pans because I'm a big baker. Oh, yeah, that's but right. It would be very expensive. They've got all kinds of, you know, the numbers if you want to make it for a specific birthday mm-hmm. or unicorns, ladybugs, Darth Vader. Yeah, different <laughs> designs. So if you need something for May 4th, it may cost quite a bit to exactly. buy that trademark pan, you know, right. But renting it and using it for just that one time. Yes, makes exactly. The library of things, yeah, a great solution to those. Well, there's so much, there's a lot of creative energy in our community. And as much as the different crafts and hobbyists would love to have all the materials and all the tools at mm-hmm. all times, it's just not financially feasible. Yeah. <laughs> and so this, this expands and allows us to try things out before we make a commitment to purchase an item, whether, you know, to see if we really want it or not, or just use those, as you say, one-off moment type of things. Mm-hmm. And I think I saw in the list, they're adding some canning supplies. Ooh. So for people who want to do some water bath canning, you could get some of the tools and then return them. All right. I have two that I want to throw out there just really quickly. Okay. One is in honor of April being National Poetry Month. Mm. We have a exciting new poetry collection coming called In a Time of Distance and Other Poems by Alexander McCall Smith who is a fantastic poet. This one is divided into different sections that goes on a journey across the globe. So not only Mm. can you get your poetry fixed, but you can get your travel from the couch (laughs) as well. I like to throw in a poetry book, even when it's not April, but of course, I have to read at least a few this month. And we're doing some celebrating at McCullough, too. Oh, right. Tell me about that. Yes, we have our poet tree on the wall where you can add a leaf for your favorite poet. We just put up magnetic poetry, some different activities. We've got our teen take and makes out. So we're definitely celebrating within the library. And then I also wanted to mention Blood Trials by N.E. Davenport. This is a YA novel. I'd be remiss if I didn't as a teen librarian mention something. (laughs) I read a lot of young adult stuff as well. This is a science fiction fantasy kind of blend that is kicking off a duology, meaning there will be one more after this to continue the story. This has a young black woman protagonist who is dealing with an empire that is at war with a rival and how to kind of rise up through that and find her place in that, as well as dealing with some family secrets and issues as well. It's got all of the the good fantasy sci-fi elements mm-hmm. to oh, it. Oh, yeah. 
Well, my next nonfiction title that I was going to mention, kind of in part, you could see the overlap between the first title I mentioned about the 50s and this one. And it's called The Great Stewardess Rebellion by Nail McShane Wolfhart. It was in the 60s and 70s where air travel was becoming very popularized. It was Mm -hmm. the thing to do. Unlike the typical travel today, people dressed up to get on the plane yes. and, and there Smoke was your cigarette up yes, there. <laughs> exactly. And, and so, but the stringencies for, or demands, I guess would be a better word for stewardesses was very high. And mm-hmm. so some of the things that this book talks about, and this is just a handful is if you gained a few pounds, you could be suspended. Uh, you always had to wear a girdle when on the clock. Wow. You were not allowed to marry or have children while you were working this job. And at 32, you were required to resign. Wow. And so cue feminists up for. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And so a lot of the stewardesses came together and began basically pushing and demanding change Mm -hmm. to a more fair and just requirement. You know, these are not requirements men were asked to do. Absolutely. You know, and so this book is strictly about how the industry was in those early days and how women began to stand up and go, hold on, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and basically insist on change and how that has reshaped the industry to more, I will say, I always say more fair because I always feel like no matter what system or how much progress we've made, there's always a little room for improvement. Yeah. So as there there is in all things. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and I say that because I'm not in the industry, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, I'm speaking as an outsider. So I don't know how much that needle has moved, but hopefully it's much better uh, than it was in those early stringent requirement days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a very interesting one. I just had one more, and that is the new Brave New World graphic novel. Ooh, see, yeah, that's a great book. I'm a big fan of those classics. I am too. I read that probably in high school and then again several years later. So the original Brave New World is, of course, by Aldous Huxley, originally published in 1932, so been around for 90 years, and it is a wonderful story. If you haven't read, I would recommend that. But if you want to get a different perspective or you're into graphic novels, this one will be coming out soon. I'm trying to give graphic novels a try myself a little bit more. So I've been trying to work them in to my TBR pile. This is adapted and illustrated by Fred Fordham, who also did To Kill a Mockingbird, again, another classic. Mm -hmm. So it's going to follow along with the traditional fiction story, but you'll get a completely different feel from having those images right on the page. It's obviously had to be a little condensed graphic novels having a lot less text than a traditional fiction. True, true. It's just a different way to kind of revisit a classic or get a different perspective or to check it out for the first time. Yes, exactly. Well, I'm not a big graphic novel reader myself, although I respect that genre. But if you're going to engage me, it's going to be through classics like that. I know that uh, on our shelf at McCullough, we have Romeo and Juliet in graphic novel form. Mm -hmm. And those are the kind of things that I would engage with. Um, It's just my taste. It's how my tastes run. And I like seeing someone's perspective because I know the story well enough. I've already read them as books. So seeing the artwork 
that some illustrator has infused. And sometimes it's those subtle little details that yes. will highlight some part of the story. I really enjoy seeing that, especially if it's a story I'm already familiar with. Yeah, I would agree. It can just add a different layer to it. I checked out a few of the pages are posted online for mm -hmm. the, as they normally are, in advance with graphic novels. And I really enjoyed the artwork. I feel like the color palette that he used really fit kind of the themes of the story mm -hmm. and drew me in because I knew a little bit about it as well before. I also like reading nonfiction graphic novels. Right. I saw one yeah. on uh, Audubon, John J. Audubon. Mm. And I haven't read it, but I remember that catching my eye and thinking that would be an interesting one to read. Yeah, absolutely. And they come from anything from, you know, that biography kind of about people, about mm -hmm. events to science and fairy tales and all of those things. So again, some things that I may already know a little about the subject, and then that graphic novel can expand on it for me, but also add those kind of vivid images yeah, exactly. to, to what I'm learning about. Yeah, I, I love that too. And I love how there's so many layers of art that it can engage with a story. And, yes. And when I say art, I mean the art of writing, as well as the art of illustrating mm -hmm. and every level. And just the choice of a color palette. I didn't even think about that until you mentioned it. I'm like... As an artist, of course, that's what you would think. How will the palette that I choose mm -hmm. inspire the mood that this novel creates? All right. So a couple more titles. I'm going to go on to my fiction choices. One I'm going to mention first. Most people have heard of Mary Higgins Clark. Yes. Uh, she's a prolific writer. And the book that kind of launched her career it came out in 1975 was the book, Where Are the Children?, and it was this woman who had suffered this tragedy in her life. And it was, it's a thriller. It's a whodunit. So if since 1975, you have not yet read it, I will not still spoil the ending. But this, <laughs> she has just launched a reboot. Oh. Where are the children now? It's called by the same author, Mary Higgins Clark. And it's her two adult children. And they're again in some sort of danger. Wow. And so it's fast forward from where she save them as children from this terrible fate. But now there's a new danger lurking over the lives of her grown children. So yeah, reboots are trending right now. That's I would true. Say, but that's a quite a bit of a gap in time there. So that is that, well, very intriguing. And this isn't always a guarantee, but I, I like the reboots when it's by the original author. Yes, absolutely. You know, I mean, and I'm not saying that reboots by people other than that have always failed. And there's even been some kind of reboots by the original authors that didn't do as well as you'd expect. Yeah. <laughs> but I like having that original voice continuing mm -hmm. that story. I'm a little more hopeful. And because again, she's such a well known writer, I'm reasonably confident that she's going to do a nice job of it. Yes. All right. Another fiction choice is Kew Garden Girls at War. By Posey Lavelle. Now, this is a historical fiction, which is mm. kind of one of my go-tos. I have a few genres that are go-tos. I like the whodunits, but I also like the historical fiction. So it's this group of women that during World War II are working in the Kew Gardens. And they're, they're maintaining, but they're also, because of the privation that we're all going through during that war, they're growing vegetables and, and helping to 
feed the population and themselves. Mm -hmm. And they're all facing their own personal turmoil and tragedies. They're there for different reasons. And so it's just this kind of building of a relationship between these different women and how they work together and also support one another when there's apparently the foretelling of a tragedy that's about to occur. Mm. And so how do they navigate these choices, these pressures, and these tragedies together? So I think that sounds really interesting. Yeah, I saw a lot of World War II focused titles on the list, Mm -hmm. a few fiction, like the one that you just mentioned, but a lot of nonfiction coming as well. Right, right. That seems to be, that in the Civil War seems to be that such a focal point Mm -hmm. that we just will read and write endlessly about it. Every now and then, and I, I'm going to do some intentional digging on this. I think I should read more on World War One. I've, yeah, I've been so almost overexposed. If you can be to World War Two between documentaries and movies and books, both fiction and nonfiction, but not so much about World War One. And mm-hmm. so sometimes I'm like, let's go do a little digging and read something or watch something related to that. So just as an aside, we've talked about what's coming up that we're looking forward to. Uh, what are you currently reading that you're enjoying? So I am currently working my way through a stack of our suggested summer reading program mm. books for this summer. Um, I'm working on some of the teen titles. We're going to be putting out those lists, obviously, with the summer materials, but we're going to be making some preview videos for those as well. So you'll be able to check those out on Facebook a little bit more in depth and some details about the titles that we think should be on your TBR list for the summer as you participate in summer reading and a chance to win some great prizes. Oh, well done. I'm looking forward to that. So I'm currently reading because I can never read one book at a time. I'm currently reading The Paris Apartment. Oh, by yeah. Lucy Foley. Mm-hmm. And I had read the guest list by her a few months ago. That was my first introduction to her as an author. And so this is and I'm having to I, I've been staying up late and reading it and trying to finish <laughs> it because, you know, there's a m- million holds on it. Yeah, so I have to get it finished before yeah. it's due. <laughs> but I'm really close to the end. And she definitely doesn't disappoint. She's got a real gift for creating an atmosphere. Yeah, I've not read it personally, but both of those titles pop up on my Goodreads pretty consistently. Mm -hmm. And then because, again, I can't read one book at a time. (laughs) The other book that I'm currently reading is The Reading List by Sarah Nisha Adams. Hmm. It's set in London and is a group of people. Well, when I say group, they haven't met yet. Oh, they're they're okay. kind of having some overlap. They're all visiting this one library or working at the library for one reason or another. And they come across a list of books that someone has tucked into a book somewhere. And it's this whole reading journey, them each coming from a different place. Uh, one is a widower who's still grieving the loss of his wife. One is a young woman who is kind of taking this library job out of necessity, mm-hmm. but is struggling with some personal issues at home. And there's this other guy who is, he always comes in and reads the true crime section. And, <laughs> and but they there's this list and somehow they've all come across it. And it's piqued their interest. And so this book goes through this list of classic novels, the first one being To Kill a Mockingbird. 
and they each began to read it. And it's their perception, and it works through the different books, Little Women. I forget the different list books that are on that list, but they each read them, and it's kind of like how it engages them and pulls them out and touches on the things that they're experiencing. And so I'm, I'm still relatively early in the book, but I really like the way it's unfolding. And of course, anything said in a library makes me pretty happy. So yeah, library workers love books about books. We yeah, do. It's we no do. It's, it's a stereotype that fits. <laughs> yeah. I also enjoy those stories that are told from multiple perspectives. So. I do too. I do too. This has been TBR, a episode of EVPL Footnotes. Thank you, Audra, for joining me today and talking about your interest and your reading and your programs. Yeah, thank you for having me. And join us again next time. Don't forget to like and subscribe this podcast and tell your friends.